Duke Energy offers these tips for understanding your bill. Check the number of days in your billing cycle. Most bills are for 30 days, but there are times when the billing cycle is shorter or longer. If there are more days in the bill, it could be higher. And if you have a smart meter, check online to see if a daily usage analysis tool is available. Smart meters collect usage information by the hour, so checking spikes throughout the month, by the day, and even the hour can show what appliances and behaviors are increasing your bill. Residential customer service specialists are available Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. by calling 1-800-521-2232. Duke Energy presents Stage and Stuff, promoting arts and entertainment in and around Hendricks County. Interviews conducted by Peg Glover and Deanna Hinesley, with commentary by Amy Scott and Shane Ray. Welcome to another exciting edition of Stage and Stuff. I say the exciting part is that, you know, it actually comes up a little bit later, but right now you get kind of what's... Um, what? How do you describe us? I have Amy Scott in the studio with me. We're not. I don't know that. I would call you exciting, not so much me. Ah, uh, I think you're being kind. I think we're like the pre-show. We're like the band <laughs> that nobody knows yet. You know? I got you. The one. This is like intermission time, <laughs> folks. That's right. So, all right. People, let's go get the popcorn. Get, yep, they're getting their popcorn. It's hot just dogs, Shane and slushies. Amy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I tell you what, it has been cold and warm and then cold and, uh, and of course, you know, that's just the typical winter. That's, that's when I try to get out and do my, um, movie watching and all that kind of stuff. I don't do it. I haven't done a very good job of it this season. How about you? Uh, no, really not at all. I've been kind of hibernating. Yeah. So yeah, I'm kind of like, I don't know, groundhog or bear. I just kind of like go to work and come home and that's kind of it. Yeah. Oh, well. And now I'll tell you something that uh, I am planning on seeing. Um, I think at the end of the month. Now we saw, we like uh, the uh, classic movies. Oh, yeah. When they come to the big screen. Yes. And we did watch one thing. Uh, we, uh, my wife and I went to see The Wizard of Oz oh, nice. on the big screen. I bet that was very cool. It was cool. It was fun. Uh, and y you know how it is when you're into something like that. You, you know, people say, well, I've got it on video at home. Blah, blah, blah. Well, it's, it's the atmosphere the you're getting. Yeah. You're surrounded by like-minded people. That's right. And the bad thing is you're surrounded by like-minded people. Was there anybody in costume? <laughs> no costumes, but they're like, Aww. you can hear them whispering the lines. Uh, Did you know, they behind sing? You. I heard some, uh, <laughs> some singers softly. And, uh, uh, fortunately, when we get there at the theater, um, we were trying to decide where to sit. And we try to kind of sit center. Mm -hmm. Center middle, you know, sure. right by by the rail. Sure. You know what I'm talking about. And so we thought about going up higher. And uh, I'm so glad we didn't because what during quiet passages in the movie, I could hear a guy up there saying the lines about five seconds before the oh. actors would say them. And it fortunately, we were far enough away that I didn't hear it that often. But I could tell it was there, you know, every now and then. That would be very distracting. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> we had fun. We uh, we really liked it. And uh, Now, are you guys feet proppers? Do you prop your feet up on the rail? Mm, on the rail? Uh -huh. Yeah, probably. Sometimes. <laughs> Not Now, we don't do it on the chairs. I didn't know that was a thing. I have a friend who, that's where she sits at the movie theater. She's a feet propper. Now, we don't, I don't think we put them up on the high rail. Mm -hmm. You know, the lower part mm -hmm. is where sure. we put them. So, yeah. uh, no, it's we don't feel like everyone needs to need what, know what size <laughs> shoes we wear. What so. kind of stilettos, you exactly. know? Exactly. <laughs> well, I asked you not to talk about my stilettos. <laughs> 
Sorry. But anyway, it's on Secret the air out, now. Shane. <laughs> ah. Anyway, now guess now we're gonna go see uh, another classic movie. Is that, it Gone with the Wind? It is. I've seen that advertised. Yeah. That's gonna be a long one. Like it you, is. You probably need to bring blankets and hunker down. Ah, I'm used to it. <laughs> and again, it's another one of those that yeah, you got it on video, but it's a different uh, feeling, and so. It is. Uh, and we there are some other classic movies that are coming out that we plan on seeing uh, as they come out. And uh, what else can I say? They're just a lot of fun. They really are. It's like that original theater experience that people must have had. So yeah. it's pretty neat. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you're going to be doing something artsy soon, right? But you don't want to say or what? I am. I am taking my daughter to the Indianapolis Museum of Art for a film screening. Oh. I believe next Thursday night. So okay. we'll see. All right. But now we usually enjoy that. Yeah. You'll have to give us a report on that I, on the next show. I can do that. All right. And speaking of that uh, experience... Uh, guess who our guest is? Uh, actually, it's Peg and Deanna's guest, I should say, on this week's show. I don't know. It is Ben Del Vecchio. Oh, nice. The maestro. Oh, yeah. Hendricks County Symphony. And uh, we're glad to have him uh, as, a, as a guest on the show. And I guess we'll just go ahead and uh, skip all the, the, what do you call it, the fanfare and get yes. right to the interview. Sounds good. I'm anxious to learn more. Hello, this is Stage and Stuff, a show about arts and entertainment here in Hendricks County. I'm Deanna Hinesley, one of your hosts, and with me today is um, Peg Glover, our other host. Hi, Peg. Hi. Hi, Deanna. It's good to see you again. I'm glad you're here. And we have with um, us our guest today, Benjamin Del Vecchio, but we first talked a little bit about um, the movies that we have seen and some of the shows that that you have seen also. So I hear that Hamilton is coming to Indianapolis. It certainly is, and that is really exciting. Uh, last, uh, the first of December, I went up on a bus with a bunch of other theater lovers and saw Hamilton in Chicago at the CIBC Theater. Wow. And um, for those of you who know me, know how much I have loved theater my whole life. So I have seen lots of theater. Back when I was at Ball State in spring break my senior year, all of our friends, my friends and I took a bus, I mean, took a train out to New York just to see Broadway. Wow. So I've seen a lot of theater. I tell you that, so I say this with, with a little bit of background and a little bit of knowledge about theater. Hamilton, I think, is the best theater I've seen my whole life, the best ever. Wow. It was absolutely amazing. One of the things that uh, I, I was, gave me a little bit of trepidation right before I saw it is when I found out that it is a uh, rap opera. And I'm not a rap fan, <laughs> but I have to tell you, I absolutely loved it. It was fantastic. I've heard that from others, so it's nice to hear it from you, too. Yeah, and one of the things that I think is such a great social commentary on it is that all of the characters are of different ethnic backgrounds, and it's oftentimes a little bit out of the box as long as our thinking is. You know, for example, a black man plays George Washington, and um, it was just so much fun just to see him step out as George Washington, and your first thought is, oh, George Washington is black. And then it's within two or three minutes, you don't think about it anymore. Ah. Mm -hmm. It becomes a non-issue, and I find that to be very exciting. That's what theater should do. Yes. yes. Theater should, tr should challenge us. Mm -hmm. And that's what this does, and the choreography is just amazing. It's unlike any choreography I've ever seen. 
Well, I'm looking forward to that, and I understand you have to buy season's tickets even to be able to buy a ticket for that show. Oh, is that right? That's what I read in the in the paper. So, huh, how interesting. interesting. So, uh, I think, is that going to play in December? Is that what I read? Oh, yeah, yes. and it's at the old National Center. Yes, that'll be a nice setting for that. Well, yeah, I would yeah. love to see it again. Absolutely love to see it again. Well, I haven't seen any Broadway shows, but I did see Mary Poppins. And that was a fun, a fun movie. Um, and to see somebody who stepped into the role of um, the characters who played that, Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke, I think they did a good job. It's a hard act to follow. It is a hard act to follow, but they, they met that and I think even maybe surpassed it in some ways. <laughs> you know, I was such a big fan of Mary Poppins growing up. I mean, who didn't like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious? That's right. Or a spoonful of sugar. Uh-huh. Or even step in time, you know, <laughs> when Dick Van Dyke and all the chimney yes. sweeps dance across uh, the uh, the roofs of the city. It's so much fun, but Emily Blunt as Mary Poppins and Lynn manuel Miranda as Jack carried it so beautifully. They did a great job. They really did a great job. I was pretty yep. excited. It was, a, it was a fun movie. And, you know, they also had some really, really um, fantastic cameos. For example, Meryl Streep was Cousin Topsy. Oh, yes. You remember that scene where she's uh, everything's upside down? Yes. That, that was, was good. really fun. Of course, Dick Van Dyke makes a great cameo at the very end of the show. He was pretty amazing. I bet you remembered that, don't you, Benjamin? <laughs> when he got up and tap dance on top of the, the desk. Uh-huh. That you was... know, I read uh, in the background that uh, they had Mary Poppins and Jack on either side of the desk to, in case he needed help getting up or down. But Dick Van Dyke didn't. At 95, he popped right up there and that is amazing. tap danced. Yes. So it's pretty fun. It is. Well, as I said, we have Benjamin Del Vecchio with us today, and uh, he is maestro of the Hendrix Symphony. And um, I think you know a little bit about Benjamin also, Peg. Just a little bit. I think if anybody who lives in Hendrix County and loves the classics, they certainly know something about the maestro. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we're glad to have you with us today. In fact, I think we're fortunate to have Maestro Del Vecchio here in Hendricks County, as he has had uh, quite an interesting career. Um, Benjamin, I'm interested to learn about the journey uh, that brought you here, and maybe even where you grew up. Well, I was born in a suburb of Boston, and it was an Italian neighborhood. All my grandparents and all of their friends were immigrants. Uh, who all became citizens, and uh, you know, we soon moved to the suburbs, as did my parents' generation, and I went to the conservatory, uh, studied conducting, and then wound up at IU and do- doing doctoral work and teaching in teaching theory, and that's that's what got me to Indiana. Well, that's interesting. I understand your grand grandfather had a pretty big effect on your decisions. In- well, my mother's father was an opera buff. Uh, he's a music buff and every Sunday afternoon you got a concert on the wind up record player of you know uh, generally mostly opera and one day I asked my grandmother after my grandfather had died and I said well I, I know grandpa saw Caruso and I said how was it and she said he didn't take me. Couldn't afford to take me. So for $20, he got a standing room only at the Boston Opera House when the Met came to Boston. You know, but but he was he was very much interested in music. And whenever he came over to the house, I had to play seven songs for him on the piano. 
Oh my! Uh, and they couldn't be one of the songs I played the last time he was there because he would have remembered. <laughs> you know, I, I would try, but didn't get away with it. <laughs> so you started with the piano then? Uh, yeah, yeah. And then did you add other other instruments? Well, I I played brass in high school and then violin in college. Um, uh-huh. And I, I, I used to say I studied conductor's violin. Uh, my teacher was the assistant concertmaster of the Boston Symphony, and he kept saying, well, you conductors expect this, and you conductors expect that. And I kind of liked playing the violin, but I couldn't afford a case for my violin, so I carried it around by the neck in a paper bag. And one day, while rushing to a string quartet rehearsal, I fell down a flight of stairs. Oh, no. Knee, elbow, and violin. And it was kindling, so that was the end of my violin career. (laughs) I don't think I've heard of any other career ending quite like that, so that's a pretty good story. Ended with a bang. (laughs) Well, I heard that at one time you considered being a priest. Um, I did, but fortunately for the Catholic Church, I I didn't become (laughs) one. We're glad you chose what you did. <laughs> so um, you ended up at Indiana University, but mm. you were educated on the East Coast, right? Right, right. My first two degrees were in Boston at the conservatory. Oh. Okay, okay. Um, I think that um, most of your career, though, has been in Indiana. Is yeah, that I've correct? I've been here for a number of years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and what what other towns did you uh, conduct orchestras uh, in? Marion, Kokomo, Carmel, Philharmonic, Owensboro, Kentucky. And in Kentucky, I, I used, also. Yes, to, to drive down there. I know it was, it was a fun drive. It was pretty down mm-hmm. southern Indiana. I always liked that. Yeah. Well, I assume that each of those steps taught you a little bit um, about what you were doing so that you could pro- progress to the next one. Right, and I realized that had I been smart, I never would have done it, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> I think all of the experiences in our lives teach us something about the next step, and we're kind of... A... Never make the same mistake twice, always make new and different ones. <laughs> <laughs> well... Um, so when you came to the in, in the Indianapolis area, um, you were conductor of several of the orchestras in this area too, mm-hmm. um, and I understand that um, at one point then you considered um, a small town or smaller area of orchestra and chorus, and that's kind of how you got your start here. Well, th- there were some people that wanted me to do a Messiah back in '07, which is when we started. And they said, Could we, couldn't we get together a chorus and do a Messiah? And I said, well, if you're going to get together a chorus, why don't we see if there's some instruments that want to play? Maybe I was kind of figuring we'd do a piano and a few violins. But it turned out we got a whole Oxford audition. So they said, well, let's just keep going. And that, that became the Hendrix Symphony. Uh-huh. Yeah. Tell us about the orchestra and your choir members. I mean, are they all local here? Are some of them professionals? The choir is mostly local. Uh, most... Almost everybody in the choir lives in Hendricks County or, well, actually, we've got some coming from the western end of Indiana, so they're not all in Hendricks County. The orchestra is more spread because you have specialized the first oboe, first flute. You have to get, you know, specialized people. Uh, A number from Hendricks County. There are a few from uh, what's south of Mooresville and uh, Martinsville. Uh, many from Indianapolis, some from Carmel, uh, even uh, we have one violinist who drives up from Evansville every Tuesday. Wow. And I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I sit there, I'm amazed every time she shows up at rehearsal because that's a, long, that's a four-hour drive each way. But 
so we take them from where they come. I mean, I know there are some from Franklin. Most, okay, our, our musicians vary from what I call amateurs who play an instrument because they love it and they may or may not have studied in college, but that's not there, and to professionals who teach or play uh, professionally but volunteer for the orchestra. I mean, you know, we have a number of our musicians have degrees in music. They're, they're, so they're professionals, you know, and... Wonderful. I think we're honored to have them, to be honest with you, but don't tell them I said that. (laughs) We'll keep that quiet. (laughs) Um, So, um, what's coming up in in March for the um, Hendrix Symphony? Well, we we do five concerts subscription a year, and we do seven or eight what we call chamber music programs that are free to the community. Uh, Like we've got our chamber music concerts this Sunday. Our students performed. Many of our teachers have students, and so we asked the students to do a concert. But our next subscription concert is an all-Beethoven program, uh, March is it 1 and 3, I think it is, uh, Friday and Sunday. We're doing the Eroica, the Violin Concerto, and a small overture to open the program. Yeah. Ah. You know, Maestro, you said something that, that could have you know, piqued my interest just a little bit. Uh, that was growing up in Boston, an Italian neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in sort of an ethnic neighborhood, too. I was the Irish. We were right next door to the Italians. Mm-hmm. And I found it to be quite colorful and fun and interesting. Uh, can you um, kind of elaborate a little bit of what that must have been like? Well, back in those days, the, the family was very protective. Mm-hmm. I, I, I still remember this. There, there was... The, the, the football field in Revere, Mass., was right next to the house. where I wanted, wanted, my, Both my grandparents lived within a block of each other. And one day I went out and realized that there were bricks that, it was a wall, like an eight-foot wall, and the bricks had places where you could put your feet in and climb. And I went in the park because um, I, I wanted to look around. And unfortunately, there were no little holes to put your feet in to get out of the park. And I kind of panicked and realized I was trapped. I, I did find a way out. I don't remember how, but I was there for a couple of hours, and you would have thought the world had come to an end when I got back to my grandparents' house. Where were you? You know, We used to eat Thanksgiving twice. We would go to my, my father's family, and we would eat at 1 o'clock, and we would eat from 1 to 4. And at 4 o'clock, we'd get up, put on our coats, and drive a block away and he started at 430 at the other family and I never weighed more than 140 pounds back then so. <laughs> even with pasta yeah all that pasta uh-huh. mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm sure great bread too yeah oh yeah no I I uh, I, I miss I miss the cooking uh, I, I mean well we do things like that at home but I, I mean yeah I hear you make some pretty mean uh, gravy yes Italian it's called gravy, gravy. that's uh-huh. a, you call it spaghetti sauce but it's called gravy um when I was a teenager, my grandmother used to complain, when are you going to be married? I need to meet your wife so I can teach her how to cook. <laughs> and I said, uh, I, I said, well, and because, because she didn't think my mother was a satisfactory cook. Um, I won't go there. So I said, but Nana, uh, maybe you should teach me how to cook. Uh, and she said, okay, what do you want to know? And I said, well, how do you make raviolis? She made great raviolis. So she says, well, you take some flour. How much? Enough. And then what do you do? You put some water in it. How much? Well, enough water for the flour. Well, that's and that's how I learned how to cook. No. <laughs> so it was all by sight and feel and, yeah. and experience. Yeah. I, I, there's there's one of our uh, 
musicians that I gave a, a bottle of gravy to at, at Christmas time, and she says, I have, to, I have to get the recipe. And I said, well, there is no recipe. You know, she says, can I come over and watch you? I said, it takes 12 hours if you want to watch me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I would imagine at these family gatherings, there was also a lot of great entertainment going on. Well, yeah, I, 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 that, that part I do miss, you know, the, the holidays were great fun, um, but we spent every Sunday at our grandparents because that's what you did, you know, and, and all, all the aunts and uncles came with the cousins and, and you spent Sunday afternoons at grandparents, you know. So your, um, your music, growing up with so much exposure to such great music. Um, tell us a little bit about some of your instructors. Did you have local people who would um, teach you piano or... Well, I, I had a piano teacher when I was in high school, but most of my good instructors were, were at the conservatory. They were members of the Boston Symphony, and that was the experience. We could usher for the symphony concerts when you were in the conservatory. If you passed out, no, if you were an usher, you had to stay on duty, but if you pa- and you got $4, but if you passed out programs, you only got $2, but... You could when they when they let go of the doors and as they swung closed when the concert master was tuning, you could run in and sit in any empty seat you wanted. And I always did that. And for six years, I sat in seats M eight and nine on the floor of Boston Symphony. And somebody owned those seats, and they only showed up once. And when they showed up, and I of course had to move, the people beside me go, "Oh, we thought you owned the seats," you know. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you have performed with some pretty famous people, too, throughout your career. I've been, I've been lucky. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Doc Severinsen, that mm-hmm. sounds exciting to me. It yeah. sounds very exciting to me, too. Of course, you know, we grew up with Johnny Carson. Mm-hmm. We did. With Doc Severinsen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else that uh, comes to mind about the people that you have performed with that you've had good stories about? Well, when... When I was at IU, and I mean, it's, it's a great music school, uh, it was at about its peak, and there were uh, musicians there that were, you know, really wonderful. I mean, like Joseph Yengold is probably the greatest violin teacher of the 20th century, and I knew him well, and I mean, he was just working with someone like that. I remember one time... There was at an IU. There was an orchestra rehearsal, and they were doing uh, Traviata, and they invited Gingold to come in and help work with the strings for the Traviata overture. And he had played under Toscanini, who knew Verdi. And and he sat there, and in a, in a half hour, I listened to the sound of that orchestra make this complete change. It was just marvelous to hear that that kind of thing, you know. Um, I mean, he, that was wonderful. I, I thought my concerts with Van Cliburn were fabulous. I, I, he, he played two concerti, uh, Tchaikovsky and the Beethoven Emperor. Um, you know, these are the kind of things. Um, of course, then there was, do I dare t- tell about the baritone who shall remain nameless? Oh, dare tell. <laughs> yes, who shall remain, he's dead, so I can Okay, I, well, I, you know. I, I can tell the story. <laughs> And he sang Figaro's aria, you know, the mm-hmm. Figaro, Figaro thing, but he dropped it a pitch because he could no longer sing the high note. And when we got in the concert, when we got to the high note, he sat there and he opened his mouth and sang absolutely nothing, no sound at all, because oh. he, he faked it. It looked like he was singing. His mouth was wide open. And, uh, and of course, the, the, so the critics said, what a shame the orchestra covered up the soloist <laughs> on the high note. You know? <laughs> 
the power of the media. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's a great story. I love that story. <laughs> well, what about you? Um, do you still play piano? Uh, do you enjoy yeah, playing? I, 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 you know, I, I, my, I have, I'm, I, you know, arthritis and carpal tunnel, and I play a few chords when I have to, but I don't play anything anymore. You no. Know, Mm-hmm. I, I'm I've I've reached my upper thirties, and so I. Well, your joy comes from directing, then, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Maestro, uh, one of the things that you do at your concerts that I particularly enjoy is that before you begin, you give the audience a little history mm-hmm. on the performance that they're about to watch and some background on it. Well, the first concert we did, we we had planned a season for the Hendrix Symphony, and it was like there were going to be four concerts the first one was the introduction and then there were three more and at the introduction we did one piece that we were going to do for each of the coming concerts and so i got up there and i said well we're going to do this for the next concert and this and i explained something about each piece you know what i call a sound bite and oh you've got to keep doing that so now i do it and i try to keep it to literally a one minute sound bite unless it's a symphony then it's maybe two minutes you know just something that you would not see or hear if you read just the Wikipedia biography of the composer, you know, something just a little, that's still G-rated, of course. (laughs) Of course. I appreciate that, having been in the audience, because it's an educational thing. Mm -hmm. And it's obvious that you're a teacher. I mean, that's your, that you have teachers, a teacher's heart. And uh, not having grown up knowing much about classical music, I feel like I get a little education while I'm there. I I had a pedagogy instructor back in Boston, and she said, you know what your problem is? And I said, no, what is it? She said, your problem is you want everybody to get it. Most of us teachers are happy if one person gets it, but you've got to have the whole class get it. (laughs) That's a a good heart of of a teacher, I think. And a bit of a perfectionist, maybe. Who, me? Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, that's so important now because it seems like art in the school system is always the first thing that's cut. Well, I, when my high school had its 50th anniversary, you know, I didn't go, but I happened to go on the school website. And it was bring music back. So they had, they had right. apparently, the music program was gone. Oh. Yeah. Yes, when budgetary constraints step up. But, it seems like the arts has stepped back. But people should know if they read the statistics that people in the arts do better on all the SATs this and all true. the college exams and grades. Yes. And, and, you know. and there's also, I think, a correlation between scientists and music. Mm-hmm. Now, I well, that's true. I I went when I was in when I was in the conservatory. I would go to Harvard to play in the Gilbert and Sullivan productions. I just play an instrument. I didn't direct them or anything. And they had an amazing orchestra. These these people at Harvard who I thought were geniuses, I mean, they, they sit there and take courses that you're going, oh my God, what are they doing? But they could play instruments because that it went, somehow it was connected. And, they, but they, and their orchestra was ex- excellent. You know? Very interesting. And I I'm not even sure what that correlation is or why it works both ways, but I've even seen it in my personal life. Mm-hmm. Well, back when IU was building a music school, uh, and they didn't have, uh, they had like professors in the science department that they would get to play in the student orchestra. Is that you know, right? And back in the 50s, uh, when Dean Bain was there, you know, that was very common. 
In the Hendrix uh, Symphony now, do you have people who are in the orchestra who have been there for a long time? Uh, we have we have a number of members who are charter members, you know, uh-huh. and, um, and they came and I couldn't get. I mean, and they never left. You know? <laughs> so, if there's someone out there who would like to uh, be a part of this. How would they go about doing that? Uh, just uh, if you go on the website, you'll find my email address, and I will always audition people. You know, uh, and, and it, I, I remember once I auditioned three people for a section that had no openings, and I and and I said, well, yeah, I'll keep you in mind. And within a month, uh, one person got sick, and two people moved away. And, and so you just you never know. I mean, I'm always interested in looking for new players or voices. You know? mm-hmm. And um, is it a wide age range that's in the in the symphony? Uh, youngest person is in, well in high school probably, okay. and the oldest person is eighty something. Yeah. So it, there's this I'd say there's a range. Yeah. If there was someone out there that was um, a young person who was getting ready to go into college and they wanted to become a, a conductor, um, what kind of advice would you give them? I have this in mind because I took violin lessons from a young woman who was um, young enough to be my granddaughter, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was wonderful, and she'd like to be con- a conductor. Well, um, I, I, could, uh, I could say it very simply, but I would probably ask, uh, you know, uh, I, who's your psychiatrist? <laughs> you know? <laughs> or, or, or it's it's an insane profession. I think you do it because you have to. Uh, I, I decided when I decided I wasn't going to be a priest, I couldn't think. I was fourteen. And I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, and I, I thought this was terrible. Not realizing there are many people who never figure it out. So I made lists. You know, could I want to be a fireman, an engineer, or whatever, doctor, lawyer, Indian chief? And none of those were right. So finally, one day, I sat down and said, "What is it I couldn't live without?" And that, then it was easy. It was music. You're very fortunate to have found that at that time in your life. But I couldn't stand the idea of playing one instrument not knowing what was going on with the rest of them. And I, I, I know in any ensemble, I'd be playing an instrument. The minute I had a rest, I'd be peeking over somebody's shoulder to see what they were playing. <laughs> so I realized I had to be a conductor. Well, that's good. Um, people are fortunate when they find something that they love to do. And it's obvious that, that you have found that and you've made a, an impression on lots of people's lives. You sure have. You've got a lot of uh, great talent and ability and performances to Hendricks County. Thank you. Well, we thank you for being with us today. It's been a very interesting uh, conversation, and we hope that listeners out there will um, look up that website for the Hendricks Symphony and come to those next performances. I hope so, too. Thanks. Thank you for being here. Thank you. This has been Stage and Stuff. Interviews conducted by Peg Glover and Deanna Hinesley, with commentary by Amy Scott and Shane Ray. This program has been presented by Duke Energy on WYRZ. Duke Energy says the best way to avoid billing surprises is to track your use. Duke Energy customers who have a smart meter can sign up for a usage alert. Similar to data alerts you get from your cell phone company, a budget can be set for the amount of your monthly energy bill and receive notices when you're approaching your limit. Residential customer service specialists are available Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. by calling 1-800-521-2232.